So um, this is going to this is going to be a test of your age. How many of you remember the old Sears catalog? Raise your hand, proud if you do. Now, for the rest of you, catalogs were these big books they used to make and put stuff in. Before, the, before you could go online and Google what you wanted to buy on, or go to Amazon, you had to pull out this big book, and then you had to call someone on the phone and place your order. I know it sounds like the dark ages, but I'm just saying there were some advantages to that. For example, uh, when we were little, my mom, uh, who worked at Sears, would always bring home the big Sears catalog, and she would hand it to my brother and I, and she would say, what do you want for Christmas? And we would go through and we'd circle what we wanted for Christmas. Everything. we want. And, and it was easy. I mean, we should have just put everything, and, you know, that had been easier. And, and our wish list was really big. And, and so, and that's kind of the Christmas question every year. What do you want for Christmas? When my kids were little, that's what they, they would, uh, she would go and ask my kids, what do you want for Christmas? My kids would make lists. And, and, cause that's, and that's kind of what Christmas becomes, right? What do I want for Christmas? And if I get what I want, it's a good Christmas. If you've ever given a child something they did not want, and you've ever had a Christmas morning where a child um, kind of rebels, yeah, I didn't want that, and they get mad, well, so-and-so got this, and they got that, I got stuck with this. You know, it kind of sometimes it takes the joy out of Christmas. But the other challenge with what, you know, this idea of what do I want for Christmas is then we kind of put in this, we get put in this situation where I've got to find the gift, and if I don't find the perfect gift, this, perfect, this person may not have the perfect Christmas. So I want to make sure they have the perfect Christmas, so I want to get them exactly what they want. And what we know in life is this, sometimes what we want is not what we need. Most of the time, if we're honest, what we want is different from what we need. Want is, is, is desire, need is, 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 is reality, it's living, it's, it's getting by. And so the interesting thing about the Bible is never ever in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, in Isaiah's gospel, do, uh, gospel account, do we get the idea the Bible's trying to tell us, you know, hey, what do you want? What, what, do, you, what do you want Jesus to be? You know, what, what do you want Jesus to be to you? Because that's an interesting question. You imagine if you were to go out and do a poll, hey, what, what do you want Jesus to be for you? Man, they would be all over the place. But Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah tells us not what we want, but what we need for Christmas. And Isaiah was written at a time when, when there was this transition in Judah. Israel, had fought, Israel was in the process of falling to the Assyrians. Judah would soon fall to the Babylonians. And it was just, it was a dark time. And, and so in a dark time, Isaiah wrote, he said, darkness will become light, joy will become despair, the enemy will be defeated, all because of the promise of a baby. And so we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to do it this week. We did it last week. We're going to do it again next week. And try to answer the question, what do I really need for Christmas? Not what do I want, but what is it that I need? Because Isaiah lays out for us exactly what we need. And he says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so, 
Long before the world knows that his name will be Jesus, Isaiah gives us these names for, for Jesus. Not his name, but these descriptive names that describe his character and, and who he is for us. And here's the thing about these four names. These four names tell us all we really need from Jesus. When, when you ask the question, what do I need Jesus to be in my life? These four descriptive names answer all your questions. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of being a mighty God. But let me kind of remind you of what we talked about last week. So everything kind of builds. And so one of the things that Isaiah says, he says that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And, and we talked about last week the idea, the, this idea that the word wonderful in our language would be more translated better to supernatural. That God is, that Jesus was and is supernatural, that everything about him is beyond understanding. And, and sometimes when we think of, you know, larger than life, we go, well, he's supernatural, well, he's not approachable, but yet he was our wonderful counselor. He's approachable to us. You know, he is exactly who we need to be. He's where he needs to be. And so sometimes we kind of get so caught up in stuff with Christmas, we kind of wander away and move away from Jesus. And we kind of go, what happened? Jesus left me. No, we left him. He didn't leave us. He's where he always is, right? And so today we're going to talk about this idea of being a mighty God. And so the word mighty is this this Hebrew word that I'm going to pronounce as gabor. That's not how you would say it. A a nice Jewish person would say it. That's how I say it because I'm I'm living in South Georgia. And so, but what it literally translates to is powerful champion. And so, G- and so Isaiah says that Jesus is our powerful champion. So mighty God, powerful champion. So when you think of a champion, what do you think of? You think of someone who, who when, when all the dust settles and the war is over, the champion is left standing, right? When, when there's someone, when there's no one to fight for you, the champion fights for you. When there's no one to take up your cause, the champion takes up your cause for you. A champion is a hero. And, and heroes, to steal a line from one of my uh, favorite movies, you know, heroes fight for everybody, not just some people. And so Jesus is a champion who is going to fight for everybody. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you what a powerful champion looks like. And we're going to look at an example from the Old Testament. And we're going to look at an example from the New Testament, okay? And talk about two things that as Jesus as our mighty God does. So let me kind of take you back to the book of Daniel. And so in the book of Daniel, we, we find that the Israelites are, are in captivity. Um, they're, they're in Babylon. The, the, the people of Judah are in Babylon. And this, the events of Daniel take place somewhere between 140 and 160 years after Isaiah prophesied. And so... The Jews in Babylon are already looking for this promise of Jesus, right? So it's 140, 160 years down the road. And in Daniel, we meet these four guys, three of which we're going to talk about today. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, if you're thinking, I don't remember talking about that in VBS ever, it's probably because you didn't. Those are their Jewish names. But their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's really interesting that we know Daniel by his Jewish name, not his Babylonian name, but we know these three guys not by their Jewish name, but by their Babylonian name. It's really interesting. And so in Daniel chapter 3, we see this event where the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who is 
plus the scientific word. He's a nutcase. I mean, that's kind of what he is. And, but he's an egomaniac. And he, so he decides that he's going to build this mighty statue. It's like 90 feet tall. And it's a big statue, which is a nice way of saying he built the big idol. And he decided he kind of struck up the band, so to speak. And so everybody who was in earshot, when the music played, and you had to stop what you were doing and bow to this statue. That was the rule. And everyone did that except for three guys. So the music would play, or, and everyone would stop what they were doing and bow. And, and I just see the scene where everyone's bowing, and they've got these three Shadrach, Meshach, and Minnesota going, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And so because this was such a big deal, someone went and told the king. Now, the king's got a problem because he really likes these guys. I mean, he really does. But no, but the boss does not like an employee telling that, that they're not going to do something. All right. If you've ever been the boss and, you know, you understand that there's a there, it's to be the boss and to navigate, sometimes to navigate friendships is tough. And sometimes you say, this is the way it's going to be. When someone goes, I don't want to do it that way. You go, you know, here's the deal. You can do it this way or you can go do it somewhere else. You choose. It's tough being the boss. It's tougher when you're, the, when you're a crazy king and you got these three guys who don't want to listen to you and you kind of like them, but the, at the same time, you gotta send a, you got to send a message to everyone else. Because what if he lets these guys get away with it, right? And so because he lets these guys, he gives them one more chance. So we're going to pick the story up in Daniel chapter 3. And he says this. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what? God will be able to rescue you from my power. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar says, look, here's the deal. I like you guys. I'm going to give you another chance. But if you show me up again, there is no one in the planet that's going to save you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand that the creator of the universe has promised through the prophet Isaiah that there's someone coming. And if, he's, and, if, and if the creator of the universe is going to send someone for humanity, then the creator of the universe is going to have their back. Right? And so they say this in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's not a good way to start, right? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. So there's this level of certainty. Um, yeah, here's the deal. We don't owe you an explanation, but you know, you know when you say to someone with all due respect, and it's, you disagree with them, but you want to be nice about it, you say, with all due respect, and then you say whatever you're going to say. That's kind of what's happening here. Look, with all due respect, we know you're the king, and you're kind of nuts, and we get that, but... With all due respect, we don't owe you an explanation. Because while we're under you, we don't serve you. We serve the creator of the universe. We serve a mighty God. He's who's promised that, we're, that somewhere along the way, he's going he's to come into the world and he's going to save us. So we know God's going to save us. And so we look at this and we go, well, that is in the present. But this is not about the present. This is about the future. Well, how do you know that? Because of the next line. Then he says this, But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand that what's going to save them is not now. It's in the future. God can save them now. God will save them in the future. So basically said, look, live or die, we're good. Because we know that something, someone is coming into the world. And so what we learn from this about a mighty God is as simple that Jesus is mighty over our circumstances. And sometimes at Christmas, we need to be reminded that Jesus is mighty over our circumstances. That whatever we're facing, first Christmas without someone, last Christmas with someone, family member who's, who's across the country can't get together for whatever reason, money's tight, times are hard, job's uncertain, whatever the case may be, sometimes we just need to know that there's someone who's going to fight for us. That there's someone who's going to stand up for us. Someone who's got our back. And we understand that Jesus is mighty over our circumstances. It means that whatever we face, and we talk about this a lot, but you know, when we say God is greater than whatever we'll face, it's because Jesus came into the world. And because Jesus came into the world, we know that whatever we face, whether it's our fault, and sometimes what we face is our fault, sometimes what we face is someone else's fault, and sometimes we're just innocent bystanders. But it doesn't matter the circumstances. God is greater because Jesus came into the world. And that's the promise of Christmas. That God is greater, Jesus is mightier than anything we'll face. And so when Isaiah promised the mighty God, he was promising that whatever we face in life, whatever's going on, someone's coming into the world who's mightier than our circumstances. So let me ask you this. As you kind of head first into the Christmas season, think about this. Could you use a powerful champion? Could you use a mighty God? Could you use someone who's mighty over your circumstances? You see, it's not about what we want. It's about what we need. And what we need is someone who is greater than whatever we're going to face in this life. And that's a baby born in Bethlehem who would give his life on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God. But beyond that, beyond that, we also understand, and here's the thing where we get where we talk about Christmas. Sometimes we need to understand that Jesus is mighty over our insecurities. Sometimes, as we kind of the pigtail from last week, sometimes Christmas is really depressing. You know, there's there's two kinds of people: people who look forward to Christmas and people who look forward to Christmas being over. There's two kinds of people. Most of the time, people who look forward to Christmas being over do so because Christmas is really hard on them. Sometimes we, we kind of convince ourselves or, 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 or the, the devil cons us into believing that God doesn't care about us. Yeah, Jesus came into the world, but you know, that's just a cool story. He didn't come for you. He didn't care about you. There's a reason you're going through a hard time. If God really loved you, then you wouldn't be struggling at Christmas. If God really loved you, your, your kids wouldn't be, be having a hard time. If God loved you, your marriage wouldn't be on thin ice. If God loved you, your job would be better. If God loved you, things would be better. And so things aren't better because you must be doing something that's not worthy of God's love. Man, it's really easy to fall into that. So I want to introduce you to someone who was dealing with that. 
It's in Mark chapter 5. And Mark, five, Mark chapter 5 is what I like to call the mighty God chapter. Um, because if there's any chapter in the Bible that, that demonstrates who Jesus is and what he's all about, it's Mark 5. So I'm going to kind of go through the whole Mark 5 and we're going to kind of stop in the middle, okay? So Mark 5 begins with Jesus and the disciples getting across the Sea of Galilee. They go to this place called Decapolis, Gerasenes, the Ten Cities, whatever your translation of your Bible says. And they meet this crazy dude we talked about a few weeks back who is running around naked. He's got thousands of demons in him, lives in the cemetery, and everyone's afraid of him. And he comes running up to Jesus. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa. Calm down now. What's your problem? There's a whole bunch of demons in me. Ah, oh, we can fix that. And he does. Throws the demons out. They go to the pigs. They have a barbecue over to the side, go off the side of the hill. And all is great. The people are freaked out. And they say, look, uh, we need you to leave. We, we need you out of here. And so Jesus goes back. When he goes back, he meets a guy named Jairus. And Jairus is a synagogue leader. And as a synagogue leader, there are certain rules that are in place. And one, one rule is in place is you got nothing to do with Jesus. Don't talk about him. Have nothing to do with him. Don't make room for him. But he's got a problem. His daughter's dying. And he needs Jesus. And he risks his job. He risks his reputation. He risks everything. Because he loves his daughter more than he loves his position. And he loves his daughter more than he loves what the people think of him. And he's desperate. And he goes to the last person he would ever go to. Because he's the only one who can save her. And so they go, and if you flash forward to the end of Mark 5, he saves her. In between is where it's really interesting. In between, Jesus is introduced, kind of, sort of, to this lady. And, and she is a woman with no hope, no shot, no chance, no husband, no nothing. Because she has a medical problem. And the nicest way to say it is, and it's not the ni a nice way to say it, excuse me, the nicest way to say it is she has a period that will never stop. That's her problem. Years. Her lifetime. No doctor can fix it. No man will have anything to do with her. She is alone. She's isolated. No one cares about her. And she has lived her whole life with this insecurity that because of this problem, which someone along the way has probably told her, yeah, that's, that's, that's your fault. God's punishing you. She has nobody. But she's pretty desperate. And she hears that Jesus is in town. And she wants to go meet Jesus, but she can't get to him. And the, and the way I like to describe this scene, I may have done this before, I don't really know. If you've ever been to Gatlinburg, I would say at Christmas, but I've never been to Gatlinburg when this was not true. There's a mass of humanity on the sidewalks. I hate Gatlinburg for that reason. I'd rather walk in the street and take my chances on a car than walk on the sidewalk and been known to do that. You know, I, I got a chance with a car with people, man. There's, and so this mass of people, and, and when you walk and you have to turn sideways to get through, that's way too many folks in one place. And so that's how I picture this. 
because you've got Jesus going through, you've got uh, Jairus going through, you've got these people, his, his kind of his servants with him, and the crowd that goes, hey, Jesus is about to do something. So they're following him, and, and Jesus is in town, and people are just packing the streets. Okay? And this woman wants to get to Jesus, and she can't. So she just reaches out and, and, and just touches his shirt. And when she does, she's healed. And Jesus stops and says, whoa, someone touched me. And I can see Peter going, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> Who hadn't touched you? Are you kidding me? Who touched me? You know, people raising their hand, it was me, it was me. I, you know, no, 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 no. Someone touched me because power left me. Oh. And he stopped. Now, we could have kept going because one was healed. But there's more at stake than just healing. It's not just about her physical healing. It's about her emotional and her spiritual healing. She needed to know that someone cared about her. She needed to know that she was loved. She needed to know that she was okay with the creator of everything. She needed to know that Jesus was mightier than her insecurities. Because that's what Christmas is about. Can you imagine? Look, when Jesus... You now, they're stubborn people. When Jesus says, I'm not moving till we find out who this woman is, you know what's going to happen? He's not moving. And the woman realizes that she can't hide, which is really interesting because couldn't Jesus have just go, hey, sister, come on. But he didn't. He let her come to him. Why? Because she is dealing with some serious insecurities. Verse 33, the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Basically, couldn't get to you, grabbed your shirt, I'm sorry. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. It wasn't just her physical suffering that he was concerned about. If that's all that mattered, he could have just walked on. It was her emotional it was the insecurity she lived with. It was the loneliness that she lived with. Your suffering, not just your problem, your suffering, it's over. And that's the promise of a baby born in Bethlehem. That what we suffer with, what we suffer from, what we deal with, what we go through, we don't have to because of the baby born in Bethlehem. I have a friend who describes Jesus this way. He said, He's a miracle-working, Satan-defeating, circumstance-changing God. And I like that. Miracle-working, Satan-defeating, circumstance-changing God. And here's what I know. When Jesus showed up into the world, the proclamation was simple. I want to change your circumstances. The truth is, there is no limit to what the mighty God can do in your life. There's no limit to what He can do. There's no limit to what Jesus can do in your life. You're a powerful champion. That's what He is. He's a mighty God. He's your powerful champion. He reverses the irreversible. That's what He did for this woman. He fixes the unfixable. He does the undoable. He beats the unbeatable. He saves the unsavable. He changes the unchangeable. Things that sound impossible to us, just, in a, just a day, another day in the park for Jesus. He is our mighty God. He is our supernatural counselor. He is our powerful champion. 
One of my favorite um, sermons to read uh, it was an old sermon, and I don't remember what year it was. I think it's from the late 80s. Uh, it's a man named S.M. Lockridge, and one day I'd love to show you the video. Um, S.M. Lockridge is one of the most famous sermons ever preached in our country. This is what he says. This is his description of Jesus. This is a part of it. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the king of the kings. He's the Lord of the lords. He's the mighty God, and you can't live without Him. That's who Jesus is. He is the mighty God. He is the Savior of the world. He is your champion. Whatever you're dealing with, He's greater than. Whatever's holding you back, He is greater than. When you say, I can't, He says, but you can't with me. When we say, I won't, He says, but you could with me. When we say, I shouldn't, He says, but you should with me. Christmas is not about who's not here, who won't be here. Those things are important to us. Christmas is about the Savior of the world coming into our lives and changing our destiny, changing our eternity, bringing hope into the world. Jesus is about the power. Christmas is about the powerful champion who showed up to save us. So this Christmas, when you're thinking about all the things we want for Christmas, be grateful to God for sending us what we need. Lord, we are... Um, we get so caught up in this season with, with all the, the stuff. We get so caught up in all the, the things we want, the things we, we got to have. Making the kids happy, making the grandkids happy, making our spouse happy. And sometimes we just get caught up in just getting through. I just want to get through this season until it's over. I can't wait for January. So I pray, Lord, you'll give us the patience to stop and realize that the arrival of Jesus is all that we ever that we need on this life. He is everything we need. He fights for us. He fights with us. He carries us when we are too weak to walk. He is our powerful champion. And he proved that by going to the cross for us. When we couldn't fight for ourselves, he fought for us. When we deserved to die, he died in our place. He saved us. He chose us. We're grateful that this season, that we celebrate the arrival of the Savior while we remember the cross that he would give his life on thankful for all you've done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.